Hey, this is a Hakawati production. Hey, welcome to the show. How are you feeling today? What's on your mind? Is there something you can't stop thinking about starting from the moment you open your eyes in the morning? Well, if the answer is yes, you're not alone. Some studies have indicated that as many as 47% of the U.S. adult population suffers from some form of an addictive disorder. And since we're all human, I'm guessing that number isn't so different in the Middle East. If you're lucky, you might be addicted to exercise or work, which isn't so bad. But maybe it's something that messes you up, like maybe you can't go to a nightclub without doing cocaine or taking ecstasy. Or maybe you can't stop smoking or drinking gin and tonic, let's say. Whatever it is, there's a doctor for that. And we have one on the show today. Wait, did you subscribe yet? Now's a good time. Dr. Farid Talia is a psychiatrist at the American University of Beirut Medical Center who specializes in addiction and sleep disorders. Hello, Dr. Talia. Hello. It's great to see you. Thanks for coming in. It's my pleasure. It's like I'm your doctor today. I'll be asking all the questions. Yes, it's uh, unusual to be on the other side. Are you ready? Yes. So I see you've shaved and everything. That's good. I'm well prepared. <laughs> So, are we as human beings all predisposed to being addicted to something? Uh, definitely any uh, human or actually mammal is predisposed to uh, potential addiction. So, it is somewhat hardwired into our brain to develop addictions. So, do animals exhibit addic addictive behaviors? Yes, they do. And actually, most addictive uh, addiction medicine research is performed on uh, uh, animals that uh, are habituated to a certain drug, like you let them uh, eat uh, uh, cocaine-infused food, and then you see what happens to them, you stop it. Or you if you want to try a medicine to stop the addiction, you, addict, you make the animals addicts, usually mice. Mm. Have you done that yourself? Uh, we do not do uh, this type of research, but it, it's widespread. It's, so they uh, eat common. the cocaine. They don't have to, like, sniff it. They can. Actually, the most common way is to, like, infuse it as a liquid. Okay. So, like, a sugary fluid, and they just, like, drink it. And, and they basically have similar behaviors to what yes, humans yes, would have? Yes, yes. They become, obviously, we cannot uh, detect the psychological changes because they cannot express themselves. But they do become more irritable, more restless, eat less, uh, fidget more, they can fight with each other. So definitely you see the physical behaviors. Okay, so tell us about your practice. What percentage of your patients are drug addicts? So um, I run a general adult psychiatric practice, so I see all kinds of patients. But definitely we have a significant number of uh, people who are coming with a main issue of uh, addiction. Uh, today, actually, most of the, my day was uh, dealing with uh, people who have addiction. And today we have, uh, I can tell you a little bit later, we have our, we had our group today. So we had like a bunch of people coming in and they have a, a group session. Oh, so kind of I like, um, like Alcoholics Anonymous similar, kind of thing? Yes. So uh, we have, uh, I'd say maybe like around 10% of my clinic population is somewhat addicted to something. Okay. So today you had them all come in, as, like you had a group come in. Yeah. And how does that work? I don't participate in the groups all the time. I have more like a, a super, supervision uh, type role. But we have a, a nurse and a therapist and a co-therapist. And they sit in a, uh, uh, in a large meeting room. And we have like, on average, six to eight people in, in our program. And, and they sit and they have general discussions. They update each other on their 
progress, uh, people support each other. The nurse can answer like medical questions if somebody's having physical discomfort. And the therapists uh, guide or let's say facilitate the session. And like, what's the average age? In the system we have, the people tend to be younger. Most people who come to treatment are either younger or middle-aged. What do you mean by younger? We're... Uh, like, are we talking like 12-year-olds? 20. No, no. Uh, we, we, we don't 18-year-olds? Uh, have uh, a significant adolescent addiction problem in Lebanon, although it's evolving. But I would say younger, young, early 20s. Mm-hmm. Early 20s is probably the most... Yeah, uh, but also you would think that even if they try it at an earlier age, it takes a few years yeah, before yeah. you really... So most problems problem. kick in in the early 20s. Okay, and at what point do they come and see you? Is it like when their lives kind of start falling apart? Yeah, there, there, there are many uh, paths in which you end up in uh, addiction treatment, uh, it could be legal. Sometimes in Lebanon, you might be arrested, even if you're just a casual user. And the judge would say, you go to jail or you go to treatment. And 99% of people will choose treatment. So these are involuntary sometimes, but they just come because they have to. Some people are brought in by family uh, and they are somewhat hesitant, like uh, a wife who thinks her husband is drinking too much and then he says he's not, and and it becomes a huge debate. Sometimes parents uh, bring in kids. I had a parent bring in a kid today. Kids, usually younger kids, are usually not very cooperative. Hmm. They're like sulking and they think their parents are like just being uh, weird and yeah. everybody's smoking or doing and and you're just like old fashioned and they're usually not very cooperative. Mm-hmm. They're, they're actually the most challenging people are the uh, younger. Like 15 uh, year olds. Yeah, like older, a little bit like uh, 11th, 12th grade. Mm. They usually know it alls and they, they are very resistant. So what are the most prevalent drugs that you see? In Lebanon, uh, in, in the population, uh, we see like around Beirut, let's say uh, college kids or uh, high school students, uh, cannabis uh, is, is the most prevalent uh, in all types, hashish, marijuana, or even um, some edibles, which is not very common in Lebanon, but it's, it's becoming a trend. So by far, cannabis is the most uh, commonly used substance. But I mean, is it? really addictive? Like when you hear about people Mm. who are addicts, it's usually cocaine, Mm. heroin. Do you really see a lot of people who come in, they're Mm. addicted to marijuana or hashish? This is is actually, uh, it's interesting you brought this up because it is actually uh, an interesting point that many people are not aware of. Cannabis is definitely not highly addictive, but statistically, globally, around 10% of habitual cannabis smokers will become dependent and then they cannot stop smoking and they need to escalate the smoking. So if you have like 100 kids, 10 of them are, and and they all smoke, 10 of them are probably going to keep on smoking and the smoking will escalate. And when you start smoking heavily on a daily basis, you do have uh, problems, functioning, uh, school, work. Uh, Some people develop like symptoms like bipolar. And usually the parents are alerted to the behavior they bring the kids into the hospital or something, and then they test them that the drug, they test positive for cannabis. Hmm. So definitely it's uh, not very common and not well known, but it does happen. Do you think that Lebanon is representative of the whole region in terms of the types of drugs that are being used and the number of people in, using in, drugs? In, in Lebanon, if you look at, let's say, the middle Arab region. Yeah. Uh, there are regional differences, like in uh, the Gulf countries. Cannabis is not very common. It's hard to get. So It's hard uh, to grow in the desert, mm, too, although uh, yeah, that's changing, yeah. and, thankfully. Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it's hard to import because of the strict 
yeah. uh, laws. So people tend to use pills more in uh, mm-hmm. the Gulf, painkillers, sedatives, muscle relaxants. In countries like we see in Egypt and some some areas in Syria, people take pills. They're widely available, very cheap. You can buy them without prescription. In Lebanon and North Africa, because of the local availability of cannabis, it's it's heavily used. So in Lebanon, it's available, it's cheap, it's 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 good quality, so it's easy to get. Um, so uh, obviously, we do have uh, many other types of drugs and substances which also are problematic, and and we cannot you know, forget about alcohol. Alcohol is I mean, obviously socially acceptable and it's legal, but there are people who have uh, alcoholism. And we see that more in older, uh, usually, uh, populations. Where mid-40s, it's when um, alcoholism starts to kick in. Usually starts earlier, but it takes time. So you're a psychiatrist. Yes. So why do you think that is? There are many reasons. Um, actually, some people are a genetic risk. So if you are Northern European, especially like Scott. Irish, they do have a, a very, very high uh, rate of alcoholism. It, it is genetic. Because alcohol can be addictive. Uh, alcohol is cheap, at least in Lebanon, and it is uh, something that people use to self-medicate, mostly anxiety and insomnia. So many of the people who end up having uh, alcoholism are people who suffer from underlying anxiety or, in, or insomnia, and they consume the alcohol as a self-medication, not just to have fun or when they go out or uh, to have a good time. And that leads to the dependency. Yeah. Let's go back to drugs, though. Do you think that those drugs that we talked about should be legalized in the Middle East, like they are in many states in the U.S. and Canada, in terms of, you know, the, the patients that you see, would that make a difference in any way? Uh, legalization of drugs is a big uh, debate and uh, concept because you have many you know, stakeholders. You have uh, society, you have, uh, in our region, religion has a powerful influence, uh, uh, the law and uh, many other factors. But if you look at, uh, uh, from a, at the problem from a strictly medical point of view, uh, if you uh, have adequate risk warning, uh, uh, education, and people use some drugs which might not be fatal in, let's say, overdose, like, for example, heroin, you can apply the same concepts you apply to alcohol. So alcohol is legal, you're free to drink. But however, if you have a car accident under the influence, you are liable. Mm-hmm. So if you can use cannabis and not get intoxicated and cause problems, it feasibly can be something that can be tolerated as a legal or mm-hmm. semi-legal thing. Mm-hmm. Definitely in Lebanon, they are less harsh now legally in the legal system towards cannabis use. So how do you treat people that come to you with either alcoholism or drug addiction? The, the first uh, step is to see where the person stands. Uh, in your office, in the street. So, so let, let's say somebody uh, <laughs> walks into my office. Yeah. And it depends on who brought them in. Did they come in by themselves? Is it like a... Uh, somebody who wants to stop the substance and they are actively seeking help. And these people do the best. If you're dragged in by someone and you are not convinced, it's really very hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people sometimes are under the influence and they cannot function or or even give consent. And these sometimes uh, individuals end up being hospitalized because they could be psychotic, having a severe reaction. And we actually have to put them in the hospital until things calm down. And some people go to rehabs. The rehab concept still exists. It's not very common in Lebanon, but some people do go to rehab. You can check yourself in, stay for a couple of months in a, in a safe 
calm environment. But many of these people, when they leave, they tend to relapse. You see that uh, among celebrities frequently. They mm-hmm. get into trouble, check into yeah. rehab, just hang out for a month. But what I mean is specifically, like what's going on in a rehab oh. and what do you mm-hmm. do with your patients mm-hmm. so, that you're helping them? Because I would think that it's like either you want to stop or you don't. Do you And how does it help to go see someone? What's your role in, in so, the decision making? Uh, the, the concept that is applied now in addiction medicine, there's you know, the field of addiction medicine, is the concept of harm reduction. So first of all, you have to evaluate the situation. Uh, is the pattern or amount or the way you are consuming the substance is it dangerous? Is it is it hurting you? And you need to educate the person. Some people are not aware of, of some risks or, or, or hazards or dangers. So the first step is open, honest communication, educate the person, see what they want to do, and give them options. So some people choose to cut down, and that's fine. That's acceptable if it's so it's less problematic. Some people want to stop completely. Some people are ambivalent. And sometimes we tell them, you know what, you have all the information, all the options now. Why don't you go go home, think about things, and maybe we can meet in a week or so and and reevaluate. So some people go and never come back. Uh, retention rates in addiction medicine are very low. Success rates are low. Like what are you, what are you talking about, low? It's, it's hard to, uh, to win uh, the battle against addiction from the first attempt. So many people relapse, and it's, uh, it's a very challenging uh, thing to treat. People um, sometimes quit. Sometimes people are sober for a couple of years. They relapse. Addictive behaviors tend to linger and lurk in your brain. They never like disappear completely. So that you could have a, a unconscious trigger. Somebody might trigger you. You might meet an old friend who used to smoke up with and you end up smoking again. So I have a patient who was sober from alcohol for 10 years. He had a drink uh, at his son's wedding and then proceeded to drink for another 10 years. Wow. So uh, sometimes small triggers happen. Yeah. Uh, if people are willing to get treated, uh, we have a bunch of options. We can do therapy. I, I do some counseling, but we have some specialized counselors who work with us who do intensive counseling. So uh, you can. We have this program like for eight weeks. You have like uh, twice a week. You have individual sessions, like almost forty-five minutes of counseling, and then every other day there's a group. So. Intensive psychotherapy and counseling uh, helps uh, uh, treat addictions. Uh, I don't really know what you mean by, by counseling mm-hmm. and psychotherapy. Okay. Like, what do you mean counseling? So, like, so, so there are obviously many types of psychotherapy or talk therapy. Yeah. From the classic uh, stereotype where people sit on a couch and uh, a, a doctor or therapist listens. That's psychoanalysis, like Freudian. This has fallen out of favor. It's not practiced Mm -hmm. a lot. So the common uh, types now are like something called CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. And this is problem solving based, trying to find links and associations between using, why do you use, how do you use, what are the triggers, what feelings go away when you use, and to try to find alternatives. So, and this is um, the therapist and the person set goals and they work toward uh, these goals. Sometimes you can get homeworks, assignments. Uh, Another uh, type of therapy is called um, motivational uh, therapy. And this is to push people uh, into uh, stages of change. So some people are resistant and they're contemplating, maybe I should stop. And then they say, okay, I want to stop, but I don't know how. And you help them go through the the stages. Uh, Usually it's done under the supervision of a psychiatrist or a doctor to see if there is need for medical interventions. Some medications do help. For example, like 
taking if you take heroin, it's physically hard to stop. Yeah. So uh, it's there is an element beyond craving and psychological and, and placebo effects. So there are some medications that can be used to uh, uh, minimize the discomfort and help people not relapse. Some people just cannot tolerate the, the physical the withdrawal. uh, withdrawals and they go back and... and Do you use. prescribe medicine for any of the other drugs? Yes, there are. There like are. alcohol or... Um, we have some actually medications cannabis. for alcohol. You do? Uh, yeah, there are a couple of medications. Uh, some of them are um, <laughs> alcohol blockers. So okay. if you take this medicine... You don't feel the alcohol? No, if you drink, you will like instantly vomit and have diarrhea. So oh, yeah, that it, it will like force you not to drink. Hmm. Unless you don't take the medicine. Uh, yes. <laughs> so uh, w- this actually medicine is reserved for people at um, high risk jobs. So let's say you're a pilot. Yes. And they stop you. Yeah. And you're drinking on the plane and they give you like one more chance. I mean, have you met pilots who are drinking a lot Ooh, in well, your practice? I have when I was not in Lebanon. Oh. Uh, in Lebanon, it's, it's extremely rare. But I, I practiced for many years outside in the U.S. And, and we see uh, uh, pilots, pilots. Uh, uh, people who work in high-risk jobs. So these people, they would be mandated by the airline nurse to take the pill under supervision. Wow. So she would like give him the pill. So he cannot not take it. And you have other medications that can block cravings for alcohol. Uh, we have uh, definitely a bunch of medications for heroin and or opiates, especially if you've heard about the pill addiction problem in the U.S. Uh, so like morphine-like pills and painkillers, tramadol. So you have... You what, are have the, what are the names of some of those? Uh, in Lebanon, the most common substance, pill-type substance, mm-hmm. is called tramadol uh, or tramal. And it's it's very widespread in the uh, uh, Middle East. It's, it's cheap. Uh, in the U.S., you have oxycontin and oxycodone. So um, that's the pill we have in Lebanon. Uh, we do have treatment for heroin type addictions, but it's hard to get because the system mandates you get them through the government. So people are resistant. You have to go sign up at the Ministry of Health in this like uh, database. And uh, so the privacy is gone and you go and they give you that special medicines called uh, Suboxone. Mm. And uh, most people don't want to go through that system. Because then you're like <clears throat> marked for life. Everyone knows. Yeah, and then you, you know, had that problem. and going and queuing in line to get your papers done. And once you do that, you can get it prescribed from your doctor. But you have to go every once in a while and and, and get it treated. And they and don't stuff. have like wasta there, like. No, it's it's quite strict. <laughs> when it comes. That's one of the few things where it's quite strict. Yeah. Um, so that's the difference, right, between a psychiatrist and a psychologist. The main difference is the is as, the as ability psychi- to prescribe me- medicine. No, the simplest difference is a psychiatrist has to be a medical doctor first. And you have to go through medical school, graduate, become a medical doctor, and then you can specialize in mental health, which I see makes yeah. you uh, qualified to become a psychiatrist. A psychologist doesn't have to go through medical school. Most practicing psychologists have master's degrees. Some of them have PhDs. So so it's better to be a psychiatrist. <laughs> I guess. I guess. <laughs> do you treat people though like psychologists do? I mean, do you have a sofa in your office? Yes, I do, do have ever... a sofa, but I yeah. don't use it. Psychiatrists, uh, at least the ones who trained in the US like me, have uh, training in therapy. So there are some patients I see who do not need or take medications and we meet for talk therapy and counseling. 
Sometimes, you know, you do some couples counseling. Uh, sometimes you have couples who are addicted yeah. and they feed each other's addiction. So one person wants to stop and the other one does not. And it's uh, it's very, very problematic if if you want to stop drinking and, and your partner is not and they drink in front of you. It's, yeah, uh, they should just leave each other. Sometimes actually uh, that's what, What's on, what yeah, you know, recommend? What, what, what the recommendation is if the yeah. person is not cooperative. So I interviewed this doctor in California a couple of years ago. Mm. Her name is Molly Malouf. Um, we talked a lot about microdosing, mm. um, things like uh, cannabis and also uh, acid. Uh, I don't know what the scientific name is. Lysergic acid, LSD. That's yeah, LSD. LSD. So people are using this stuff to like enhance their performance, both like physical, like runners are using it, and then um, you know Silicon Valley types are using it so they can stay up all night and be super creative. Some people use it on Sunday to go to the museum. It's called a museum dose, and it enhances the experience. Um, have you heard of this? Do you? Um, how do? Where do you stand on, on yeah, that yeah, whole this, thing? The, yeah, and this this concept has been uh, around for for many years. Uh, LSD was invented by Timothy Lee in the mid-60s. Uh, he was a chemist at uh, a major pharmaceutical company. So lysergic acid, LSD, makes your brain make more serotonin and dopamine. And when your brain is flooded with these uh, chemicals, which you have as they come out in large amounts, uh, your perception of sensations becomes different. So colors become more intense. You can have uh, enhanced uh, even like sense of smell, uh, tactile. Uh, sometimes your senses get mixed up. So you get something called synthesias where you can uh, hear colors and see sounds. So this is Amazing. why this is why these drugs are popular at raves yeah. because at raves you're bombarded with lights and sound. So theoretically, these types of drugs, the hallucinogenics, are not physically dangerous, and if used in small amounts, probably they will enhance your perceptual mm -hmm. feelings. Uh, they don't tend to be addictive. The problem is it's very hard to find, and and the what the, most of the these things are really hard to make, and the most of the stuff that's available are counterfeit drugs, which are made in shady, dangerous labs, and you don't know what you're using. So that is where the danger lies. And if you have an underlying mental illness, it can be triggered. So if if you have an uncle who has let's say schizophrenia, mm, yeah. you probably should not use that stuff because it can trigger something. Or if you have like a sibling who has bipolar, you probably should avoid using that because you might have a genetic risk. So what are some of the other types of addictions you deal with? Um, we are dealing with a range of addictions from uh, behavioral addictions to... What do you mean? So they can range from gambling, which is quite common in Lebanon. Uh, actually, gambling is a huge problem in Lebanon, but it goes completely unnoticed. Where do they? Yeah, I have never heard of it. They go the, to the, the casino? The, the, we have people here who are in, in massive amounts of debt. Uh, there is like illegal gambling going on uh, from poker friends games. who play poker yeah. for fun to people who are playing high stakes poker at home. Uh, there is sports betting in Lebanon. It's underground. It's, uh, they bet on soccer games and all that stuff. There is pornographic sexual addictions. They are quite prevalent. You're seeing it more and more now as the uh, availability on the internet is, is widespread. Mm -hmm. We have. Do you see a lot of those people? We do. We do. Uh, you know, it's it's for most people. It's. Uh, embarrassing and, and shameful. Yeah. And, um, so they probably but, would be less likely to come and seek your help. Yes. Sometimes they're brought in by a partner 
usually you, most likely it's in most of the 99% of the cases it's it's young males yeah so usually a partner uh, a wife or somebody finds out and and they they seek help and it's um it's usually they try to cover things up you have lots of gaming addiction playstation we've had like dorm kids who did not go to class for like days on end playing yeah. playing online Actually, games. Actually, I was listening yeah. to this podcast out of Dubai called Hamburger Generation. Basically, it's about like that generation that's on fast food and video games. And this guy was telling a story about how obsessed he was with, I think, UFC games um, when he was in high school, when it first went like online. Big online games where you can like play with your friends, you're all playing together. They release lots of dopamine and dopamine is what fuels addiction. So you just keep on playing and playing and playing and, and you want to like Uh, get more achievements and, and more points. And uh, you can also like expand the definition now, include uh, food as an addiction. Mm -hmm. So definitely we have people who are uh, addicted to food and that is part of the obesity uh, crisis. Food releases dopamine. So again... Could you be addicted to someone, to a person? Some people believe that uh, the, the, I mean, the concept of, of love, as, as, as we might perceive it, is uh, obsessive uh, addiction and it can lead in extreme cases to stalking where uh, you cannot stay away or accept the other person's uh, rejection. Closeness, physical closeness and uh, the concept of love is fueled also by uh, dopamine and oxytocin. Incidentally, oxytocin is what women release when they give birth. Mm. and breastfeed and it causes bonding with the child so people who have high oxytocin levels sometimes can get uh, dependent and addicted to others that's so in, interesting in a, you know, uh, that's so interesting so dopamine is what is, is breastfeeding, basically the common yeah uh, uh, releases oxytocin that's why it's important for the baby and the mom to 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 bond yeah so for example like i add like hot peppers on everything I eat and it burns and mm. I just want to eat more. Mm. Could that be like yes. an addiction? Yes, yes. Am uh, I addicted to hot peppers? It could be. Uh, uh, peppers are psychoactive. Uh, so uh, they do have a, a brain effect. So they do release serotonin, dopamine, and adrenaline levels. Probably what you uh, are addicted to is the adrenaline. So if you eat large amounts of pepper, especially like, for example, cayenne pepper, mm -hmm. cayenne can actually uh, push your heart rate up if, if, if you, mm -hmm. you can feel your palpitations. Yeah. So the adrenaline rush from peppers is like bungee jumping, but uh, is it tastes bad? better. It's not dangerous, but there are some rare, rare cases, be careful, of people who had like uh, uh, heart attacks from too much pepper. Well, I would say that's the second best way to die. <laughs> I'm <laughs> um, not going to ask what the first is. <laughs> yeah, well, so is it a taboo to be an addict? Actually. Uh, and, and in the Middle East, do you think it's more of a taboo, let's say, than in the West? Definitely. Are people more reticent to definitely, talk about it? Definitely. But again, I can tell you, you know, I practiced psychiatry in the U.S. Uh, for more than 10 years. And uh, there is not much less of a taboo. So, but definitely here, we have uh, even higher stigma, let's say. So uh, the term actually in Arabic is very derogatory. Like uh, uh, the term in Arabic is mudman, amal idman, bitata. And being an addict is synonymous in, in the Middle East to being a criminal, uh, Uh, like rapist, uh, and it, it's it's lumped in with the uh, antisocial uh, undesirables of society. The, in the U.S., uh, the term actually has been changed, and now actually the medical term, and we should uh, yeah, even for myself, it's 
It's hard to train myself to use it. It's called uh, SUD, substance use disorders. So th this term is less stigmatizing than addiction. Mm. Because again, an addict, an addict implies... Yeah. Again, it the has negative, a negative, bad yeah, definitely. So the the SUD. The preferred term now is substance use disorders because you are misusing a, a substance. Yeah. Definitely there is stigma. People uh, in Lebanon and the region, we also have cr criminalization. So it's not just a stigma. You can go to jail. Yeah. So uh, at least in the West, they are uh, they have decriminalized it unless you are actively selling drugs. So, yeah, in Lebanon, you can get in, in legal problems and that's uh, yeah, not going to be good for your career, especially if you're a young person. It, it gets stuck on Definitely. your record. Definitely. I'm going to ask you a personal question. Mm. What are you addicted to? I am addicted to... Uh, Don't give me like BS. No, like no, I'm addicted no, to like no, flowers no, no. and fashion. I'm addicted to the internet. You are? Yeah, I'm addicted to in, like uh, information. Uh, I like... Uh, like how much time per day do you spend? Like a lot. what's your screen uh, yeah, time? And I want to turn off that thing. And it's like uh, even my wife uh, the other day was... Uh, Commenting? Brought it up. And, so uh, how, when you see your screen time, how many hours per day are you spending? A lot, a lot of hours. I read like uh, compulsively uh, news, uh, science articles. Uh, so sometimes I feel my brain is uh, overloaded mm. and it is an addictive. Uh, like behavior. eight hours And incidentally, more? I do like peppers too and chilies. You do? And, uh, oh, okay. So, but I don't think I'm addicted to it. Definitely, uh, you can be addicted to uh, work. An achievement. Yeah, you're changing so, the subject yeah, now about yeah, your uh, yeah, yeah. internet yeah, I am addiction. Addicted a little bit too. <laughs> I am addicted to my job, maybe. Yeah. Yani, uh, maybe most physicians do. And it is gratifying. You do get reward. Uh, Why do you say you're addicted, though? I mean, you have to go to work. You have certain hours that you have to do. How are you going above and beyond that? We we most physicians I know actually do that. Yani, we do go in. We do more stuff. We spend more times with our trainees. Uh, you 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 just like hang around. Uh, At the end of the day, yeah, a little like bit today, longer than have, you have to. I had like a couple of hours free. I just like was like doing stuff for no reason. So. Um, yeah, you can be addicted to, uh, and I'm addicted to my wife. That's a good addiction. That's a really good addiction. So there are good addictions and bad addictions, right? Um, yeah. But I mean, sorry, substance use, use disorders. disorders. But yes. Some addictions could be superficially healthy looking, but they could be destructive, like excessive exercising. Yeah. We do have people who are addicted to exercising. It can be harmful. We've had people who had fractures from running and they would not stop running. People who spend excessive amount of time at the gym at the cost of a family or other duties. And you could be a workaholic too. So anything can be misused or... Yeah. Uh, so it's like basically like for everything else, everything in good measure. The golden rule, yes. Golden Let's mean. leave it at that with the golden rule. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. That's the show. Thanks for joining. I hope you had a good time. If you want more, make sure you subscribe and follow Hakawati and me on Instagram and Twitter. See you.